Welcome to the Property CEO Podcast, your inside track to the world of property with your hosts, Ian Child and Richie Clapson. Hello and welcome to the Property CEO Podcast. My name's Ian Child and I'm here with Richie Clapson. Hello everybody. And in this episode, we're going to be getting to grips with the, well, rather aspirational subject of financial freedom, aren't we, Richie? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's something that so many people aspire to and I think it'd be interesting to not only see how uh, property can help you achieve it, but also what it actually entails. Because, you know, I'm not convinced everyone has exactly the right idea of what it is and, of course, how to get there. Fantastic. Well, a really important subject, so can't wait to get our teeth into that. Uh, let me kick things off uh, by asking you that famous question. How has your week been this week? Have you, uh, you been up to anything exciting? Oh, come on, look, you know, you know, I've done quite a few exciting things this week. In fact, we both have, haven't we? <laughs> are you by any chance talking about our car-related exploits? And if you are, it has been uh, yeah, quite a full-on week as far, well, as far as your uh, car habits whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean? I th- you think you mean our car habit, don't you? No, no, no. I don't think that my car problem has quite reached the dizzy heights of obsessionism as yours has. Is that even a word? What? Obsessionism. Yep. Uh, last time I looked, it uh, it came between Clapson and Test Drive in the dictionary. No, that can't be true. Why is that? Well, nothing comes between Clapson and a Test Drive, oh. I can tell you. <laughs> Come on, that's the way I tell them. Anyway, we uh, we spent some time down at Goodwood, uh, you know, glorious Goodwood Festival Speed, didn't we? This uh, we did. This week. Um, in fact, we treated the whole property CEO back office team to well, a surprise day out, and I, you know, I think they enjoyed it. What do you mean? I think they enjoyed it. They absolutely loved it. Well, um, I think the fact that we we kept the venue a surprise might have led to a few, you know, expectations. Like what? Well, some of them thought we might be. Taking them on a spa day. Really? Why, why, would, why would you want to do that? Well, well, actually, I heard somebody say they'd hoped we were giving them a pedicure. Well, us personally. <laughs> <laughs> do they think uh, we actually do pedicures as well as property training? <laughs> anyway, look, I rest my case. They must have been thrilled when they got to spend all day looking at cars rather than spending it, well, I mean, having their feet done. Yeah, well, they uh, they certainly looked quite surprised when we told them. Anyway, we had a nice time, didn't we? It was, mm-hmm. That was the main thing. And I have to say... It was rare to find you surrounded by so many cars without you actually test driving one or buying one. <laughs> well, yeah, but I noticed it didn't stop you, did it? I mean, you definitely fell in love with one, one of those cars, didn't you? No, no, no. I, w- I was just chatting to the dealer. What, for about an hour? No, no it definitely wasn't that long. <laughs> yeah, I got up. And when I walk- walked by, you were actually sat in the car looking at the paperwork, sort of a deep conversation. Okay, okay. I know, I know that looked a bit bad, but um, the main problem, problem. was that I... I I just couldn't get away. So, so what? The salesman had you cornered, did he? No, no, no. I couldn't physically get out of the car. It was, <laughs> it was so low down, and it was really cramped. And it, it, it took me kind of about five or ten minutes just to kind of sort out the whole legs and arms thing, so um, so I could get back out again. Which is quite funny because it, it was quite easy to get in. Well, that's because you are abnormally tall. I mean, we've talked about this before. Every time you sit in a convertible somewhere in the world, then the noddy theme starts. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. Just starts playing doesn't it okay i think we've said uh we said before haven't we that humor isn't a strong point for you but uh, i d- i think we we should probably move on and uh, i do have to admit though i did see some uh, some really great cars in fact we even saw your old bentley didn't we well it looked like my old uh, old one but it wasn't 
Well, actually, to be fair, in uh, close-up, uh, the absence of any Pringle tubes and uh, empty Christmas oh, wrappers on the passenger seat oh, kind of gave it away, didn't it? Very funny, very, very funny. But no, seriously, uh, it did get me thinking about changing my car, I must admit. Again, yes, it, it must be, well, it must be getting on for three months since uh, since you last got one. So, uh, yeah, well overdue. Is that why you uh, you dragged me out on a test drive the very next day after we got back from Goodwood? Oh, yeah, so that's odd. So, you know, I don't recall anyone actually being dragged. I seem to remember you were a very willing participant. Okay, okay. I, I, I have to admit I was I was willing, but uh, but that's not because I'm, I'm obsessed with cars. Oh, right. No, no, it's because every time I go out on a test drive with you, Something funny always happens, and uh, yeah, this was uh, this was no exception, as it turned out. Yeah, so you're not going to mention uh, what I think you're going to mention, are you? Well, I don't know what you think I'm not going to mention, <laughs> though, uh, so quite possibly I might mention it, but um, I was referring to the infamous issue uh, of uh, the brown stripe. Right, 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 right. Well, well, I can explain that. Well, you did try and explain it, and to be honest, I'm not sure anyone found it that convincing, so do you want to come clean about what really happened? No. I told you what really happened. Before our test drive, I had to take a loan car back to the dealer so uh, I could pick mine up after after it had been in for service. That's it. it. That'll be its, it's three months old service, would it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, do you want me to tell you the story or don't you? Okay. Look, anyway, anyway, they uh, they given me this brand new loan car. I mean, it's absolutely pristine. I only had uh, 10 miles on the clock when I picked it up. Wow. Now, I was supposed to bring it back the previous evening, but I got delayed, uh, so uh, they asked me if I could bring it back you know, first thing the next morning, which I agreed to do. Okay. So, I mean, on the way down, I picked up, uh, you know, a chocolate croissant and uh, and a cheese straw on the way, um, you know, just, just to have something to eat in the car. What, just in case you might fade away during the 20-minute journey? Uh, exactly. You know, um, and unbeknown to me, about half of the cheese straw plus a piece of the chocolate must have fallen out whilst I was driving. So, anyway, look, I parked right up uh, outside the place, right in full view of the three young ladies on reception at, down at the dealership. Uh, but when I got out of the car, I realised the driver's seat was absolutely caked in pastry and smeared with chocolate. So just another day then. Who's <laughs> telling the story? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So and I thought, well, uh, you know, I can't hand it back. You know, it's brand new car in this state. So uh, I mean, I'd be really embarrassed. So uh, yeah, I didn't have a tissue or anything on me. Oh, right. So so I rummaged around in my case. All I had was my briefcase. So I rummaged around and I found a post-it pad. So I used, <laughs> I used one of those uh, to sort of clean up the crumbs and try and get most of the chocolate off. Okay. So uh, so far so good. Yeah. Okay. So but that's when I realised that if the seat was covered in melted chocolate, then my short must be as well and so I had a quick look and uh, yeah I mean sure enough there was a massive brown stripe right down the back of them fantastic so uh, what did you do next well well, I mean I was outside so I, I went I had to go in so I went up to one of the receptionists and I said to her I know I've come to collect uh, collect my car and um, but I said you know can you tell me where the men's toilets are then I sort of beat a hasty retreat absolutely it does all sound <laughs> rather dubious doesn't it so uh, so okay so you've beaten this hasty retreat to the toilet what did you do next well I I locked myself in in the cubicle and tried to clean it off with a with a wet paper towel. <laughs> like you do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not great if I'm honest. I mean, it looked like a, what like a wet brown stripe by the time I'd finished. Right. So suppose that you looked like you had an incontinence problem now rather than a gastric <laughs> yeah. one. It, uh, I mean, yeah, it wasn't good. So then then I used some more tissues from the, from the toilets and tried to you know try try to dry things out. But uh, I, I mean, that was taking ages, and uh, I'd already probably gone about fifteen minutes. So at that point, I'm not sure what the receptionist was thinking. <laughs> So what did you do? Well, well, luckily enough, they had one of those hand dryers. So, um, yeah, I pressed the button and uh, bent over. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> how is it that these things only happen to you? I mean, what if someone had come in whilst you'd been 
bending over in front of me. <laughs> well, luckily enough, no one did. So I managed to get things fairly dry. Of course, I picked up the car and uh, drove to meet you. Simple as that. Yes, which was when you relayed the story to me and you realised that you hadn't managed, after all, to get rid of the brown stripe. <laughs> you just dry smashed now. it. <laughs> I wonder what the receptionist thought as she uh, she sort of looked at you as she left. <laughs> Probably thought you'd scared yourself driving the loan car. <laughs> very, very funny. Anyway, uh, it was a lovely sunny afternoon that day, wasn't it? So yeah, it if was, you remember, yeah. I suggested that we uh, you know we treat ourselves and spend, uh, spend it doing a, a couple of hours test driving, um, uh, which I recall you quite enjoyed. Yeah, I have to say, um, I, I, I find it intriguing that your fixation on the car that you you're, you want changes about every three days. Oh, what do you mean? Well, you've been banging on about getting some Luxo barge the week before, and then all of a sudden, you're mad keen on SUVs. Ah, well, yeah, but that, I know, I'm a very practical person, unlike uh, some people. Okay, and that means that you have to drive an SUV, does it? Well, you know, you can't tell me that you didn't enjoy driving them. Well, I didn't enjoy driving them. There you go, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> You're quite funny, aren't you? Look, you don't mean that. You, you, know, you said you liked the Range Rover when I was driving it. Well, that's because I felt sorry for the sales guy in the back, because, well, he looked a bit classy. Well, you've got to admit, it was a nice car, wasn't it? And I had to put it through its paces. So, you know, I mean, got to see what it's capable of. Well, we quickly established that it was capable of inducing mild nausea, didn't we? <laughs> I mean, most people get car sick on long journeys, but somehow you managed to bring it out in most people within about uh, 30 seconds of getting into the car. That's a bit harsh. A bit well, harsh. you can't deny it. The sales guy looked completely relieved when we swapped over driving positions and I took over. Yeah, that's because he thought you'd be an easier touch when it came to his sales pitch, wasn't it? Well, as I recall, he didn't actually have a sales pitch, did he? Oh, he no. just sat in the back of the car and groaned. Well, no, well now you mentioned it, it, it was a bit weird that he didn't do the sort of usual thing of taking us into the office afterwards and doing some numbers. Well, I think he just wanted a bit of a lie down, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I I think he was uh, he was just impressive. He managed to complete a test drive in a Range Rover without it actually breaking down. It could have been a first oh, friend. Oh, that's a bit harsh as well. Come well, on. maybe. I'm not saying they're unreliable, but uh, the last time I bought one of their products, I did get a letter from the RAC thanking me <laughs> for my purchases. <laughs> okay, look, maybe they're not the best in terms of reliability. But anyway, after, after he left us, uh, gave us a chance to have a look around his showroom, and uh, they had some cracking cars on show, didn't they? Do you remember? Mm, yeah, to be honest, they were a bit... Modern for me. I sort of prefer the uh, prefer the classics. Okay, yeah, but what about the bright yellow Lamborghini they had? Surely that's uh, that's got a rank as a classic. Mm, no, <laughs> not really. Did you know though? Did you know this? That if you scratch the paintwork on that car, they have to, it has to go back to Italy to be repainted. So, well, so what does that tell you about the the ownership experience? <laughs> I mean, have, have you still got the Lambo? Well, I have, but it's uh, it's holidaying in Italy at the moment. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, I like spending a fortnight in Italy, and I'm pretty sure uh, the other half does as well, but never quite felt the need to send one of our cars there. Yeah, but well, you don't have to, though. You don't have to send it back to Italy. Right. Uh, well, no, presumably not. You could. You, you might be able to get one of those paint chip pens in Halfords and you know, just ask for Lamborghini yeah, Yellow. Now you're being silly. No. Anyway, I'm off SUVs now anyway, so uh, you'll be glad to know I won't be doing any more test drives in 4x4s. Well, until next week, anyway. Right. Talking of aspirational things, uh, financial freedom actually comes high up a lot of people's list mm-hmm. on uh, on what they're looking to achieve, doesn't it? And it's it's an aspiration that we see very often from uh, from many of the people that we work with. So, uh, is it worth starting by uh, 
I think covering some of the basics and, and kind of really getting under the skin of exactly what financial freedom means and, uh, and why anyone would want it. Yeah, I think so. I, I, that sounds good. I mean, first, um, perhaps thing to recognise is maybe, would it be fair to say financial freedom can mean different things to different people, would you say? I would say absolutely it does. Uh, I think it depends on where you are in your life. Uh, sometimes it's dependent on, on how old you are. But financial freedom can mean you know, not being beholden and reliant on other people for any financial uh, input. So if you're a young person, perhaps, and you're sort of breaking away from uh, the family support, you're becoming self-sufficient. That's, a, that's one type of financial freedom. And then later in life, you know, kind of you, some people go the other way and it's all about, you know, having enough money to be able to, uh, to support what they want to do without uh, having to, to work. You know, I think they've got enough funds in the bank to, to be able to sustain it is what their lifestyle, whatever it is that they're looking to do. And it's kind of everything in between, really. So I think one of the first things to kind of be really um, clear on is that financial freedom means different things to different people so would it be fair to, for, for anyone that's listening what they've got to define is what financial freedom means to them i mean we know it's a, an aspirational thing mm-hmm. we know it's thing a thing that the, the a lot of us you know, we have in our lives and then we continue to get to a level then you want to strive for another element of financial freedom but is it important for people at whatever level they're at to perhaps define that 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 what financial freedom means to them yeah i think it ultimately all ties back to having personal goals which we should all have um, and being very clear about what it is that you're you're trying to achieve i think a lot of people uh, bring pass passive income into the equation and that's a, a very kind of powerful um, lesson i think in terms of understanding passive income and how how that works uh, there i think it can be a bit of a misunderstanding of what passive income is because a lot of people yeah i mean you're, you can say that a lot of people talk about passive income but, but some of the income they talk about is definitely not passive. When you're chatting to someone and they say, yeah, I've got this, I've got this uh, perhaps it's in property, I'm doing this type of strategy uh, to generate passive income, but they've got a full-time job doing it. Yeah, there's a book which is a very popular book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I think does a very good job uh, That's being... like me, before I had kids, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, and then afterwards. <laughs> but it, it does a really good job of inducing a bit of a mindset change in people and that actually that mindset change is what it's all about because a lot of the time we're kind of conditioned to go through life thinking of you know we we have to uh, we get a job we buy material things they make us happy and we keep working and then we retire and then we die and that's that um, well you paint such a wonderful picture, wonderful picture. but actually uh, it that's you know that actually is, is not the perfect model by any stretch of the imagination and uh, what Rich Dad Poor Dad does is kind of just re- reinforce the model that what you need to do is to try and take earned income and convert it into uh, an asset, you know, something that produces income for you. Because when you've got that, uh, obviously you're creating uh, a financial return without you having to exchange your, your time for money. Effectively, you make money whilst you sleep. And of course, there's lots of different ways of doing that. Uh, a great example would be buying stocks and shares. Yeah, you know, if they go up in value, if you get a dividend, you know, those two things happen, uh, irrespective of whether you're asleep or awake. You know, you don't actually have to do anything so other than buy the thing in the first place. And then, if you look at property, I mean, property is often viewed as a, another great way of earning passive income. But as we we know, there, there's different types of income from property, and some of it is passive, uh, but some of it is what I call partially passive. So, if we take uh, being a landlord, for example, yeah. um, the equity gain that you get in your property. 
that's that's passive. That happens. Uh, your house, the, the, the not your own home, but the the rental properties that you might own, the investment properties, they go up in value. But we're talking long term there, aren't we? So if you're, right. you're talking, if you buy a property now, particularly if it's highly leveraged on a mortgage, yeah. you're talking maybe twenty years time. Not only is that mortgage paid off, but the actual asset itself has gone up in value. Hopefully, absolutely. But that has happened without you actually having to do anything. Yeah. In order to unlock that. Um, that passive income, uh, most people would have to uh, rent that property out to be able to cover the mortgage payments so that they can actually you know, enjoy owning the equity. Otherwise, financially, it doesn't work. Uh, you'd be paying back more money to the bank than you would be making in the, in the equity. So uh, the challenge then comes with, well, all of a sudden, you're a landlord. And being a landlord isn't passive. Uh, it's partially passive. You don't actually have necessarily a full-time job if you don't want one. But you still have issues. You can outsource so much, but you still have tenants. You still have responsibilities. And when the boiler blows up or when there are tenant issues uh, and just the general uh, admin of being a landlord, you, know, you have uh, some obligations that, that you have to deal with. So it's not entirely passive. And would you say, though, there's, there's an argument some people say is, yeah, no, but what we would do is we'd outsource this to a management company. I mean, obviously, there's a cost there, which mm-hmm. a lot of people can't afford if they're highly leveraged on their borrowings. They can't afford to pay that additional management charge. But if you've got a management company looking after the sourcing of the tenants, the control of the tenants and the repairs, presumably you're saying there is still... A, a, there's, there's responsibilities you have as a landlord and there's still input that you need to do. Yeah, so you can, you can outsource a great deal uh, at a cost, as you say, but at the end of the day, you still have some work to do. And I think it's just recognising that when you embark on trying to get passive income through property, that uh, if you do it that way by buying rental property and renting it out, it isn't 100% passive and not like stocks and shares. You still have responsibilities, you still have work to do even if you outsource some of it. But if you're going to follow a leverage model, then you want to try and outsource the maximum amount of work that you can. I do, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, there are certain other types of property which are far less uh, leveraged. So if we look at things like um, service accommodation, for example, which is where you know, you're know you effectively letting property that you either own or control, uh, typically you know, for short-term uh, You're running events. a hotel, basically, aren't you? Or yeah, a bed and breakfast yeah. type arrangement. And so it then becomes much more labour-intensive. And I tend to view that much more as a job. I mean, as you say, running a, running a hotel of sorts. Because you've got to be really on the, on the money when it comes to uh, the systems that you use, the, um, the cleaning side of things, making sure that your marketing is great. And so you've got a throughput... Um, and a good pipeline of uh, people using and you know, your, your occupancy weight rates high. Uh, there's all sorts of things you need to think about and all sorts of things you need to do to make it sustainable. And that really isn't passive. I, I mean, we hear some horror stories, don't we, about people that's got service departments. I mean, obviously, there's some great stuff out there and people making some great money out of it. But uh, equally, uh, I mean, I, I, you know, we know someone who's got some service departments and they've had a right nightmare over the recent recent months where they've actually had quite a few... Um, clients come in and uh, you know have have parties in there and trash the place. Yeah. So you know you have all that to deal with, and, and uh, I, I've seen people try and outsource to, uh, almost one hundred percent to a management company their their service department portfolio. Not only to find actually it's just it's just come a complete mess, and they, they you know the, the management company isn't as passionate about it as them. You know, if it's your own pro- projects, or maybe you own the buildings, or you've controlled them if you're on a rent to rent type basis. You're a little bit more passionate about it because it's your money, your liability. 
outsource it to a management company, it's a little bit more of just as a job and a process. And that maybe their checks, and this is what I've seen, aren't so stringent on the sort of people that rent. And there are There is a bit of a habit for people going to rent SA units and, and having a party. And we don't want to put people off, but as we're talking about passive or non-passive, as we say, there's work well, to be done here. And, and do your research before you get into it. Speak to people yep. that have done it. Um, because the, uh, the upside, like so many things, the upside looks great. Um, and, it, and it is. It can be a very profitable strategy. But you don't underestimate the what what the hard yards that you need to go through to yeah. make it happen and the uh, and, and yeah, speak to people that have, uh, have been there before you I think just going back then to financial freedom uh, it is absolutely uh, something that people should aspire to you know it's a really powerful thing to, to aim at and um, what you're trying to do is get to a situation where irrespective of, of where you are in your life where you are in your career um, what it is that you're trying to do, what you want to do, your lifestyle. You, you don't want to be, ideally, reliant on others for income. And, and you want to have control. You want to have control of your own life, your own destiny, so you're not forced into a situation where you, know, you, you have to go and go to work today because you need the money to be able to do stuff, um, which that is fine, providing it doesn't compromise what it is that you want to do. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem there is that all the time you're working for someone else in the job, you're under someone else's control, aren't you? And, and you know, there's there's so many people, certainly over the years, that, uh, you know, I've been in business, I've seen lots of maybe friends I grew up with who have jobs and have missed the sports days, you know, the kids' sports days or the yeah. assemblies or, or whatever it might be. And, you know, even actually fathers who've missed or, or mothers have missed holidays yeah. and they've flown out later because work doesn't allow funny. them to go. And, and you think, well, hey, what's life about? So I, I think that's that's the control element, isn't it? You, you, someone else is controlling you and saying, no, no, you need to be here to do this. Or you fear that you might lose your job. So you have to stay and do it. Yeah. And I think you also get, uh, particularly as, as you go through life, you become a little bit more... Uh, appreciative of the value of those things and in particular the value of time versus when you're younger you tend to appreciate more the trappings of success and 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 all that side of things which is absolutely fine too but it's just being able to understand uh, what is the lifestyle that you aspire to what it, where is it that you want to be and then financial freedom gives you the uh, the ability to to do that if you can achieve it now for me it's it is actually about a mindset shift I think a lot of people look at financial freedom and think of it as a business model thing. Are they doing the right thing? Is this the right job? Is this the right business they've created? And are they, the way that they're working within that job or business, are they doing it correctly? Uh, but but actually, like so many things in business, it all boils down to um, mindset. What, what, why is it a mindset shift then? Why, why is that? Um, well, one of the... Uh, the first things that I would say is that there is a um, what you see in your business and some of the flaws that you see in whether it's a job or your business it's kind of just a reflection of your own uh, flaws that, that you have um, and so you can't you can't fix those within the business because you've got to fix them in you first now uh, there are some kind of fundamental things that you know, human nature gets in the way I think of us achieving financial freedom very often uh, in the first case, most people really hate going outside their, their comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. That's such a big one. Well, that's inherently built within us, isn't it? You, 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 yeah. You've got to stay within that. Well, our subconscious tells yeah. us that, uh, that that's, that's where safety is. Yeah. And if you, if you can imagine your subconscious, this massively powerful brain that we have, um, 
and that, that actually is the, by far and away the most powerful part of, of our brain is our subconscious. But its only job really uh, is to, is to, its focus is to keep us alive. And it's rather an old fashioned thing. It tends to think that where there's danger of the unknown, then uh, there must be danger you could get eaten by a shark. And of course, you, your conscious knows that uh, you won't get eaten by a shark. You're not going to die. But that doesn't stop the subconscious. Well, you could get eaten by a shark. It depends <laughs> what you're doing. That's very true. Uh, but ultimately, not in the quest for financial freedom. No, hopefully very, not. very unlikely to be eaten by a shark. Uh, so, yeah, what it does is it gives us these signals. These, these it controls our emotions and just says, you know, don't do it. And so that fear puts us off. And so the subconscious just loves it when uh, when we operate in these comfort zones because at the end of the day. Uh, we go to bed and the subconscious sort of says, hey, done a great job today. Yeah, we didn't mm. die. Whereas actually your conscious should be thinking, yeah, but we didn't really move forward either. We didn't take any steps towards achieving any goals. We just did the same old, same old. And so that's what you've got to try and do is to, um, is to appreciate that the only way that you can make inroads into your, your goals and to achieve you know, financial freedom is to, to operate very regularly outside your comfort zone because that's where success is. So if you're not if you're not um, fairly consistently throughout your your week your month pushing out of your comfort zone, you're probably not going towards a financial freedom goal. Yeah, I think there was a famous quote that was attributed to Eleanor Roosevelt, wasn't it? Uh, basically, do something that scares you every day. And uh, it's very true. I think you need to do that rather than just do it randomly. Yeah, <laughs> Jump yeah. out of a plane or whatever. I mean, I think you need to be structured. But the, the trick, if you can manage it, is to get to a place where you your conscious recognises that um, that this is a good thing so that when you feel the fear, like that, the, the, the Jeffers book, feel the fear and do it anyway. Um, it, it's That's so true. You kind of like, I recognise it for what it is. It's a positive thing. I'm just going to go for it. And of course, as we get outside our comfort zones, the more we do stuff, the more it becomes uh, inside our comfort yeah, zone. Yeah, yeah. used to it. So how does this, this aspiration, all this financial freedom, how can we relate all that back to, to property development then? Um, well, I think you know, property is such a great vehicle for financial freedom in many different respects, mainly because of the scale of it. So gener generally, most people have relatively modest aspirations financially. I mean, some people have got you know, big goals and all the rest of it. But ultimately, in order to be to to uh, achieve the things that most people want in life, uh, when we compare it to the wealth that's possible through property, uh, it, it's it's not that difficult. The scale is there to be able to to you know you don't have to pedal too hard in property to generate reasonably sizable amounts of money that can make a big difference. So we're life. talking about the sort of returns you're going to get out of property development mm. and profits and flipping these things on. We're not talking about holding stuff now. We're just in principle talking about selling stuff on. Yeah, can be significant and quite life changing. So if your if your aspirations that we talked about earlier, depending where you are, what sort of age you're at. Are, are not massive you're easy going to do it and in fact actually if your aspirations are massive equally you can scale up and do it as well yeah i think the other thing to to bear in mind with development specifically is that it's a highly leveraged model so you know if you wanted to become a dentist no real way around it you've got to go to university and then on to medical school whatever and and learn how to do that and then after all of that training, you will become a dentist, become a property developer. You, the people that build houses, it's not you. You, know, you don't lay the bricks, uh, you don't sign off the plans. You know, all of the aspects of property development are done by somebody else. 
uh, the developer is simply the uh, the person that sits in the middle and, and makes all those things happen. They're the ones that, with the big idea, and but but they don't do they don't do the work. You're the entrepreneur. You're the entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah. So it's not it's it's not it's not a lazy job. There is lots of work to be done, but it's because so much of it is outsourced and because you're using that leverage, um, it's it's possible for somebody with uh, you know that, that's not done it before. To, to simply leverage the experience of lots of people that have and create a, a very sound business model doing it that way. I think there's a couple of other things that I'd add about property specifically is, you know, first of all, you know, the, the term safe as houses, you know, it's not by any stretch of the imagination a risk-free profession, but, you know, we know the banks don't lend on stocks and shares. They only lend yeah. on, you know, on bricks and mortars. So it, it is uh, an what is, you know, history has proved that it's an appreciating asset over time. So there is an element of security by working in a profession that's linked to property. Uh, and, and maybe I would say this, but I can see, for, and, and I've learned time and time again, that the biggest thing that you can do, whether in, in fact in anything, if any new venture is get get mentored, don't don't try and make the mistakes and learn from them, uh, and certainly don't try and do that in property development or property generally. Uh, get educated, and if and if at all possible get mentored, afford the best training you can because it just pays you back time and time again. That, I think, is probably one of the biggest secrets of success when it comes to people achieving um, their, their financial freedom. And every day is a learning day, isn't it? I mean, we, we, st- we still have mentors. Uh, you know, yeah, I absolutely. always have, and I know you have. We do now where we're working together. We have people that mentor us in terms of growing ourselves and growing our business. Because every day you've got to learn something. Absolutely, and our mentors have mentors. I mean, it's it's if you look at successful people generally, that's what they have. That's and and, the, and there's a really good reason for it, which is why wouldn't you? If you think of all the things you don't know, um, it would be it would be kind of rather tricky if you had to, uh, I don't know, fix a car and you hadn't the first clue about how a car works, doing it without somebody telling you what to do. I mean, mm. you just wouldn't do it through guesswork or let's have a go. Um, you, you, you need you need a manual, but better still, better than a manual, you need a mechanic to guide you. And and that's, I think, the secret to achieving financial freedom through whatever route that you go down is making sure that you've got a mentor in place, uh, however whatever form that takes, to be able to uh, to guide you on that journey. Because not only will you you'll avoid some mistakes, you'll actually see more opportunities but also above all anything else, you'll, you'll get there quicker. I love, and I think you get there quicker. And the thing I love about it, about being mentored is accountability. The, the minute you, that you put yourself up to be mentored by someone, mm. you give them permission to push you towards your goals that you've set yourself. So you, the accountability, I think, is for me one of the biggest things that comes out. Well, of we're it. also bad at being accountable to ourselves yeah. because uh, yeah, things get in the way. We have all the best intentions and then... Uh, yeah, we, we've got the stuff we've got to do. And we, we kind of give ourselves excuses, don't we? We say, well, we didn't do that because uh, of all these other things that came up. And, and we're all right with that. Whereas mm-hmm. if you've got some, if you're accountable to somebody, if somebody's holding you accountable, then it's not all right. You've got to find the time to prioritize your goals, your success, your journey, um, irrespective of all the other things that come up. We often do the sort of three takeaways on these, uh, on the podcast here. And I think for me, the first one um, really is define what it means for you because you're going towards a goal that you don't know where it is. So I, 
I like what we, we've been chatting around here is for every person out there is different mm-hmm. and every age or, or demographic is probably different. So actually define what financial freedom means for you, I think is, is massively important. That'd be my number one takeaway. Yeah, no matter how old you are or where you are in your yeah. career, it's, it's important. And it changes, doesn't it? So yeah. keep redefining it. Yeah. And, and, I, and I like it because we often talk about it and people ask us about it is how passive is passive income? Uh, you know, and I think that's a good thing for people to take away is, is, is if you're going to go into something, into a, a sector, a strategy or a money-making plan or whatever you want to call it, and someone says, yes, this is going to generate your passive income, as you said, speak to people that's there and done it mm. and see if this is passive or isn't because you might get a nasty shock, particularly some, some property strategies out there. If you're prepared for it, that's great, but if you're not expecting it, you can end up with another job that you didn't want. So I think this um, understanding what true passive income is, I love the way you, you describe that. Well, I think also uh, what I've found, I always ask successful people uh, that the book that, that's been the most influence to them. And quite often, uh, I guess Rich Dad, Poor Dad is quite a common one that I get told. It's one of those books that if you haven't read it or if you're not really okay with, with passive income, it's, it's well worth a read. It doesn't take you long. And, uh, and for many people, it's, it literally has been quite life changing. I think my third thing, and I think it sums it all up, is comfort zone and getting out of your comfort zone, which, which links a lot of these, these things together. You know, for a lot of people, this, the definition of the financial freedom, when they've got that, that's way out of their comfort zone. So what are you going to do? Well, to get out of your comfort zone, you've got to have a mindset shift. Yeah. You know, also to get out of your comfort zone, you probably need to get mentored and get accountability because that then gives someone the permission to push you outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. And it's accountability and guidance. I mean, yeah. that's, it's such a powerful combination because the accountability will make you do it and the guidance will make sure you do it right. Yeah. And, and if you're not getting out of your comfort zone, you're probably not going to get towards your financial yeah. freedom. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love it. Okay, well, that's great. Thanks, Richie. Uh, I'm free. Well, thank you. Well, it's been a pleasure. That's all we've got time for in, the, in this episode. Join us again next time when we'll be giving you the inside track on uh, yet another part of the property world. In the meantime, feel free to check out our other episodes and, of course, you can visit our website, which is at propertyceo.co.uk. But until next time, it's goodbye from us both. Goodbye.